Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Tradition. 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 Just the very word tradition can evoke powerful feelings. Feelings of nostalgia, notions of stability, and a calming of the spirit knowing that some things never change. When you think about traditions in your own life, most likely you'll be thinking of something that you or your family does on a regular basis that brings order and a familiar reconfirmation of community, often through the celebration or commemoration of a person or event. There is no doubt that traditions are important parts of culture. And what's the opposite of tradition? Often people juxtapose the idea of tradition with the idea of modernity. What's this got to do with wine? Well, in a minute, we'll take a look at how these concepts have been applied to the wine world. But back to tradition. The funny thing is, the more you dig into the concept of tradition, the more it defies its definition and the more difficult it becomes to pin down just what tradition is. There are fields of study that are based on the analysis of traditions, mostly anthropology and ethnography. And these fields of study, at least in their advanced applications, operate on the idea that tradition is dynamic and fluid. Tradition is a perceived consistency, more than an actual consistency. And traditions will persist under certain circumstances, and they'll change under others. Much of anthropology and ethnography is focused on why some people call certain repetitive behaviors traditions, and under what circumstances are those traditions able to change. Recent meta-views of anthropology and ethnology approach culture from the idea that people use their everyday infrastructure to collectively create culture on a constant basis. In this view of culture, Culture is constantly emerging because its traditions are being actively generated, consumed, reconfigured, changed, and regenerated on a continuous basis. This cultural paradigm was not taught to us in elementary school. Most early introductions to the idea of culture, they oversimplify its complexity, and they gloss over its dynamic nature. But with high-speed interconnectivity increasingly growing across the world, it's easier and easier to see how dynamic culture truly is and how fluid traditions can be. What can cause some people to cling to a perceived tradition? Often a major change in the status quo that threatens that particular way of doing things. 
Usually, the ideas that challenge previous ideas are touted by their users as modern and thus progressive, while those that stick to the previous way of doing things will often use the word tradition to combat the pejorative, often unspoken accusation that because they are not changing their methods, they are somehow not modern, not progressive. In several wine regions across the world, this juxtaposition between modern and traditional has emerged over the last few decades, mostly because refrigeration, temperature-controlled fermentation, and certain methods of oak aging are challenging the previous status quo. The easiest way to make sense of it all is to split everything into parts and polarize them so that every producer fits nicely into one or the other category. But polarizing the concepts of tradition and modernity often glosses over and ignores the nuances and subtleties of a dynamic culture. And yet, you might call the modern traditional quagmire a tradition itself. Throughout the history of winemaking, different ways of doing things have disrupted the status quo and forced people to align themselves on one side of the fence or the other. Back when drinking water wasn't safe to drink, certain civilizations had a tradition of mixing water and wine, using the wine to sterilize their drinking water. But when cities began to have advanced water purification systems, suddenly the need to mix water with wine was obsolete. Technology challenged the status quo. And now the practice is neither traditional nor modern, it's just taboo, because the reason for doing it has lost merit. In the late 18, early 1900s, the Industrial Revolution majorly challenged the status quo. Large agricultural plots farmed with agrochemicals disrupted the status quo of the family farmer and changed the way of life for many in the wine business. Once simplified as modernity versus tradition, we now know there are many diverse types of farms and that small family farms can have technological impacts just as large agricultural farms can be hands-off. And we see it today. There's a lot of polarizing talk about modern versus traditional styles in Bordeaux, in Rioja, in Portugal, in Puglia, in California, in Barossa, and a lot of it in Barolo, to name a few. Even wine critics get split up into modern palettes versus traditional palettes. While it makes it easier to digest these regions and ideas when we talk about them in black and white terms like modern and tradition, there's really a lot more complexity happening underneath the surface in all these regions. New generations are negotiating the best parts of what they've inherited from their parents while assimilating what they see as the most useful advances in technology. What you have are hundreds of different variations and combinations of technique, agriculture, vinification, and technology. Most winemakers must make these subtle personal decisions while constantly being asked by their consumers to align themselves with an oversimplified concept of either tradition or modernity. And it's a risky alignment where you must go all in on your self-definition, and once you do, it can be difficult to make decisions that might be considered the dogma of the opposite camp. Perhaps we can help. If consumers and press can take the pressure off producers to narrowly define their operations based on false dichotomies, perhaps we can start to gather a clearer picture of what is really going on, which is an amazing and dynamic interchange of thousands of ideas ideas from which each individual winemaker negotiates their own personal way of doing things as they see best. With this perspective, winemaking is more like a constantly emerging culture derived from each vintage's factors 
And in the same way that we are surprised with the taste of each new vintage, we can allow the winemaker to surprise us with their dynamic handling of dynamic circumstances. I've been lucky enough to try some amazing wines while traveling over the years. Unfortunately, I've found that some of those same wines are really hard to find here in the United States. Whenever I run into trouble finding a favorite bottle, I go to idealwine.com and they have what I'm looking for. Whether it is a hard-to-source bottle of Burgundy or a micro-production natural wine like I Need the Sun by Domaine de Miroir, I know there's a chance that Ideal Wine might have it available. And Ideal Wine's entire Paris inventory is available to American customers with just a click. The process is seamless, the site is easy to use, and orders are shipped directly to you. Head over to idealwine.com, that's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com, to see for yourself what you could be drinking. Federico Scarzello of Scarzello in Barolo on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Fine. And you? Really nice to have you here. Thank you so much. So your grandfather was a winemaker at a winery in Barolo. Yes. My grand grandfather, uh, not really my grandfather, was his brother. His brother was uh, the, the cellar meister uh, in a big cellar in Barolo. They had vineyard. My grandfather was in, in charge to follow the vineyard and to grows the vineyard, and he was working outside. Uh, after the Second World War, where they come back to the military service, long military service, they decide to start to vinificate their grapes and to bottle the wines. Because before, they had cellar, and they do the vinification in the, in the second vintages. Because the good vintages, it was a big demand of grapes, and they had a good price for the grapes. In the bad or not beautiful vintage they try to make wine to have more opportunity to make more money uh, on the wine than on the grapes because for the wine you have one or two year time to sell it for the grapes you have two weeks <laughs> and this was the problem and also because my grandmother takes the bar of course bar is a lot at the time, it was just the one room with coffee, wine, and some barrochinato, some grappa, that was. And it had no sense to buy wine from the other. So they start to bottle wine, then they start to label that wine. Then someone from Torino, Milano, come in Barolo, they see the bottle, see the label, start to buy so six bottles and one damigiana or something like this, and then grows up and up and... My father, in the end of 70s, started to bottle all the wine. And uh, yes, I continue now after 99, that we, was my first year in a cellar. And after 2009, that I become the owner. The, not the owner is still my father, but <laughs> I become the responsible to all the production and uh, all. And what's your dad like? Oh, my father. My father is uh, the person that when my father gave me the responsibility of the seller, he take off his hand immediately because we have a strange rapport. Uh, he loved me. I love him. But 
it's impossible to work together. We have a similar idea, but of course different. And it's very difficult to discuss. Uh, if you have one idea, is his idea. And if, of course, if I have my idea, is my idea. And we are Piemontesi, you know, our character is, is our character. So. <laughs> Because originally he didn't let you do any vinification in the 90s. He kind of let you not, no, he didn't let I, you really in the winery. I start, my first vinification was 97, but not with Barol, not with Nebbiolo. was 97 Barbera d'Alba Superiore. Why? Because I was 17 years old. Uh, I was in an neurological school. Uh, I love to try something. And I asked to my father, so which is the wine that I can try this year? And he gave me the... The vineyard, I start from the vineyard. Tell me, okay, if you want to do wine, you have to start vineyard first. Give me the vineyard of Barbera. There is a reason. And this explained the rapport uh, between me and my father. He gave me the Barbera because he had Barbera grapes. He had Barbera vineyard. He had Barbera wine. <laughs> For him, Barbera is... so. Is the idea of Barbera of the 60s, wine for drunk people, uh, sell it in bulk, in big volume, very acid, low alcohol, uh, big production. Uh, my idea about Barbera is totally opposite. I invest a lot in, in, in the Barbera. I even increase the quantity of Barbera on my vineyard. That's very strange in Barolo, but uh, for me, Barbera in the right position, in the right vineyard, uh, do a very, very good uh, satisfaction. And I have it in those years. I started in 97. That was my wine, my first wine. I had to show the potential of that wine. And of course, my Barbera Superiore, the first vintage of Barbera Superiore was 97. For me, it was important to show that is a different wine to my father Barbera. His Barbera was just Barbera d'Alba. Mine is Barbera d'Alba Superiore. And even because I don't love the fantasy name. So my wine have the name of the vineyard or the name of the appellation. That's it. The Barbera is Barbera d'Alba Superiore. Stop. Barolo is Barolo del Comune di Barolo or Barolo Sarmassa or Barolo Sarmassa Vigna Merenda. That's it. Uh, Lange Nebbiolo is Lange Nebbiolo. Uh, this is my idea about, about wine. I... Also, Vigna Merenda. Vigna Merenda is a, the historical name of our family vineyard in Sarmassa. It's not a fantasy name invented for, for one vineyard or take it from the owner of that vineyard or something like this. But your dad made some pretty tasty wines. I mean, I think the 95 Barolo from Scarzello mm -hmm. is very mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. What are the history of the parcels that you have now, the Sarmassa and the Turlo? How did those come into the family holdings? The majority of the vineyard that I have now come from my family. We don't buy many vineyards in the last 30 years. That's not right. We buy some parcel, but from some cousins, some part of the family. More extended uh, family. Sure. Because my great-grandfather had seven brothers. They cut the property around the 1930 when died my great-great-grandmother. They divide the property in seven parts. So you can imagine, and each vineyard was divided in seven parcels because anyone want the second vineyard or the better vineyard. They want a part of each one. That's the big problem of Piemonte many times because each one wants one part here, but also another part here. And also the family farmhouse was divided in five parts. 
We just buy the last one three years ago. My grandfather start to buy the parcel from the other cousin of the family. My father continue and I finish in uh, 2010 with the last parcel. We rebuild the property of Scarzello on Vigna Merenda. Vigna Merenda are two and a half hectares. The origin was two hectares of vineyard and half hectare that was not planted for one reason, because uh, it's a soil that has lied a lot, is very, what is the translation? Uh, it's very steep. Yes, very deep. And that, steep, right? Like yes, it's, okay. and that, that parcel slid a lot and was difficult to save the vineyard. Oh, it eroded uh, a lot. Yes. Like soil had come down. Yeah, okay. yeah. And we... We plant now because now, of course, it's easier with machine, with the big tractor to restore the, the uh, hydric situation under the soil. Sure, and the hydric on, the water. Yes, and this way we can save the, the vineyard on also in the, in the dangerous and deep parcel. Now our two and a half hectare, uh, the majority is in the Biolo, the Sarmassa Vigna Merenda. And a small part, the lower part is planted with Barbera that I use for Barbera Superiore. Then I have other two parcels. One is Terlo, and another one is Payagallo. Both come from my grandmother family and not my grandfather family. It's not a Scarzello, but come from the Boschi's family. And of course, come in the, in the property years ago. Payagallo is Barbera. It's a kind of crew of Barbera because the big part of Payagallo is planted with Barbera. I didn't know that. There is also the big part that is planted uh, on Nebbiolo, but the, the central part of Payagallo that is exposed on west is planted in, uh, with Barbera and gives a very good result. And then Terlo, Terlo is the last vineyard, is in the hill, is a very different situation to Vigna Merenda because Vigna Merenda is part of Sarmassa. Uh, Sarmassa is the valley uh, between Canubi and the hill of La Morra is down Liste and Cerequio. And is a close valley, very humid and very hot. In particular, Vigna Merenda part, because Vigna Merenda is just down to Cerequio Cru. And is oh, it's, the, it's below Cerequio? Yes. Ah, I didn't know that. Right below Cerequio. My part of Sarmassa, because Sarmassa continue below Liste and continue. The first part of Sarmassa is the back hill of Canubi. Piagallo is also on the same ridge as Canubi, yes, right? Yes, Piagallo, Piagallo is behind the village of Barolo. It's the hill behind the village, down to the La Volta Castle, in direction of Vernie. And Terlo is the continue of that hill, in direction of Novello. It's between Piagallo and Ravera. It's the hill that continues from Barolo to Novello direction, just out of the village. That's amazing that Sarmasso is quite warm because it doesn't really come through in the wines. Like I don't, they don't taste hot. They don't taste high in alcohol. It's difficult to explain it, but of course, it's always a war in Sarmasso because we have to grow the plant to save, in particular, the freshness. Uh, of course, in the fresh vineyard, we grow the plant in different way. For example, Terlo is a vineyard that we try to reduce the production more than in Sarmassa. In Sarmassa, we produce a little bit more because we, the problem in Sarmassa is sometimes the surmaturation. And in some vintage, we have to understand which is the, the best quantity. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, we started the green harvest and uh, the, the dream was to produce nothing in one vineyard. <laughs> so we cut all the grapes. The because, dream was to cut. Yes. Each producer, one produced 30 tons per hectare, another one, ah, just 25, another one, 20, another one. So 
uh, we, we reduce too much the production and in some vintage you feel that the wine are so matured, are, uh, are no more fresh. And in particular you feel now because Barolo is a strange wine. It's a wine that mature in a strange way. Sometimes we bottle a, a Barolo that is tiled, that is uh, old <laughs> and 10 years later is younger than at the beginning. And I find it just in the Barolo, this situation, because in another wine is quite impossible. If I bought a Barbera that is tied two years later, it is die. <laughs> and Barolo, Barolo have this characteristic. And for that, it's very important to save the freshness. For many years, we just look at body, body and color, body and color. Uh, and Nebbiolo is a wine that have not a big color, of course, we know it, and have not a big body. Nebbiolo is elegant, is very, very mineral for, for some reason. Uh, and his power is made by tannin, not by the body, not by the oily taste. And the oily Barolo old very, very fast. This is the reason. And the acidity is important. It's important the, the balance between acidity and tannin, because tannin and acidity together gives more sensation. If you have more acidity, you feel more the tannin and the opposite. So more tannin, you feel more acidity. But it's very important to have a balance because with very, very low acidity, you, the wine is show you more body, but died first. This is, this is the problem. The vintage that we, we know now, the, the historical vintage, 61, 64 and the other, start with a great acidity at the time they had a great acidity and also lower alcohol contents uh, you see some bottle with 12.5 so the minimum alcohol content for barolo and they shows beautiful now and they are close to 50 years old so what were your first vintages for vinifying barolo for scarzello mine or on my family you yourself my personal my first barolo i, I start in 99 but i start with my father's style. So I worked for my father. <laughs> in 2001, 2001 was the first vintage where I put my hand inside, but also my brain. So the idea of wine is mine. Uh, because in 2000, I finished the enological school. Then I started the university, but you know, university is a different timing. I had the opportunity to organize my time and to follow the, the seller too. And 2001 Barolo is totally my personal Barolo it's because really good, it's yeah. made on, on my philosophy, my idea. And the best difference is the kind of vinification. My father loved the, a lot of air in vinification. His wine was uh, very mature, but very stable in the time. So for example, the color was very low, but 20 years later is the same of the beginning. I try to save more in the wine. I do more reductive vinification, uh, in particular the fermentation and maceration. I push more the maceration. The medium for my father was 20 days, 25. Uh, on some vintage, I, I arrive at 60 days. Uh, is a big difference. And then time in wood. My father had 24 months. That's the minimum time for Barolo, and he do 24 months. I adapt the wood aging to each vintage. 2007, for example, that is very mature vintage, very approachable, didn't need to be pushed on maturation, was in wood for 24 months, the minimum time. 2006 was one year more. 
each vintage have a different uh, situation and and we can decide uh, year by year we taste the wine and we decide which is the best way to do it's really interesting to talk to a barolo producer that essentially got started in 2000-2001 because that's kind of at the end of the modern popularity the idea of modern barolo boys kind of popularity i have to imagine that i was in the in the middle of that my generation is the the right generation in the middle i arrive in the end of the lange crisis i'm i'm born in 80 when the methanol was i was a children but i remember well the situation uh i started enological school in 94 was the total parable of the modern producer like that was the height of it sure the famous one important one was all modern i was curious too uh, of course i was curious i had the beautiful opportunity to know personally many of the great and famous producer the classic one too because my father have more connection with the classic and the traditional one and you were uh, born in Barolo and you live right in Barolo. Sure, sure. So you're I right around the corner from... Always. I never moved to Barolo and I don't have idea to move to Barolo. Because one time I was walking across a crosswalk in Barolo and your car came up and stopped. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I had the, the opportunity to meet people like like Giovanni Conterno, for example. And to be honest, they, they was very fascinating man. Because they... They had the responsibility of the Barolo, I think. Uh, the, the sensation was those men are, they create one wine and not just for the market, not just for money, not just for that. And this was a good and nice philosophy. Then another thing that pushed me to be classic, <laughs> uh, I don't love traditional, <laughs> but classic, uh, of course, was my father. My father had the old school of, of Barolo and for him new wood was a disaster in cellar uh, change the barrel was very very bad way so the old barrel was perfect I have not an a Taliban way for the classic or for the traditional production but for example for me maceration is very important not just for Nebbiolo even my Barbera is macerated 25 days that seems like uh, a lot is absolutely like is extreme is yeah. extreme for yeah. Barbera, and I do that in the good vintage. Uh, is not a receipt, so is uh, you have to decide if the grapes are well. Okay, I do the long maceration, and then that that wine become Barbera Superiore. If not, I do the short maceration, and I made a regular Barbera, very in stainless, easy to drink, and that's it. And for the Barolo, is the same. If the grapes are perfect. I can do long maceration. For me, Barolo without long maceration have not a, the same potential. So, And the vintage that didn't give me the opportunity of the long maceration are not bottled. <laughs> Normally, is only 2007 is a vintage that was very balanced and had some risk for the long maceration. I do a middle maceration and at the end I was satisfied. So the wine was... was good for me was was balanced was uh, was not tired was not flat and okay i decided it was a good vintage but when we start i had some trouble for you the potential of ageability of a barolo is from the skins 
I think 99% of all come from the skin. That's not right, but all the potential. So the body potential, the aging potential too, and the complexity and the majority come from the skin. Of course, a lot come from the juice, uh, a lot come from the seeds too, but skins are fundamental. Uh, with bad skins, it's impossible to, to make a, a good Barolo, but even a good other wine, red wine, of course. Maceration is the... We make wine with maceration. All the other operations are operation in cellar. Uh, also the barrel racking and all are just operation. But the only deci important decision that one producer do in cellar is the maceration. How much macerate in this condition or in that? And this is fundamental. The other one are quite natural or automatic uh, because the wine asks something and we go in that direction or in the other. But like when you taste it, it tastes reductive, sure. so you think, sure. we got to rack this. Of course. Like that kind of, of course. thing. Of course, of course. You're just reacting to what it's giving yes. you. Yes, but is the, the, the maceration is the moment when producer put the end inside of the wine, where the producer built the wine, because it's very, very difficult decision. To be honest, I am each vintage, when I push the maceration or I stop a maceration, I am sure that it was a better way. Uh, we have not the the. You're never sure that you got it right. Of course, is always the question. Okay, is the right way or not? But with our taste, with our idea, with our perception, we decide this way or the other way. But the maceration is the big decision. Uh, with the maceration, you build the the construction of the wine. Of course, the grapes are important. But when grapes arrive in cellar. The analog have just one way, one decision to take is the maceration on one way or in another one. Because after, of course, I talk about natural wine, yeah, wine that are not uh, work at a lot, are not... Uh, not a lot of intervention. Yes. The maceration is the moment when the, all, the, all the game are made. Uh, after that, yes, wine start to age. And a little bit in bottle, then in still, then in bottle. But we follow the wine. The decision of maceration, of course, is the hurt of our work. What about the length of fermentation? Is that generally hmm. pretty set? Is that constant? The fermentation, each vintage is different. It's different. <laughs> of course. Depend First, the fermentation depends on the grapes. Because I talk about the natural fermentation. The fermentation depends on the grapes more than, than us. Uh, I talk about indigenous, indigenous uh, yeast fermentation. And of course, if we harvest grapes that are very warm, and we take warm grapes in cellar, fermentation starts very fast. Because, you know, yeast prefer the higher temperature, not higher. So in, in one range between 25 and, and 35 is the 32, 35 is perfect situation for yeast and they go very fast. I don't like that situation. I prefer a slow fermentation, also because it's a big head for me. Because when I have a very fast fermentation, in five days fermentation is done, I have 40 days more to take up the cap of skin, and we have 
many problems, many more problems. When the fermentation is slow, we have more solution of CO2 in the wine and the cap stay up very, very easily. And for the maceration, that's very important because when the cap of skin jump down in the tank, this is very, very, this is a big problem because we have to separate immediately the skin. We risk a lot of reduction and then it is a big work because normally when we separate wine from the skin, we take the wine from the bottom of the tank. Right. And when you have the cap of skin down, it's like a cork on the on your valve. Sure. Uh, and and it's a long, long work. You have we to spend take it. one day one day to take off the wine from one tank. And normally we do that in two hours. Slow fermentation are, are the best. Uh, of course, slow but constant. The fermentation have not to be jump and down, up and down, up and down. This is a big problem because it's a risk for uh, volatile acidity, for bad uh, variation. And of course, have to be very, very constant. And on my opinion, slow is the best one. With the selected yeast, my father used it that, and for the first vintage, I used the selected yeast. It's a different situation because we put a mass of yeast inside that starts very fast. And of course, the selected yeast fast the fermentation. In one week maximum, they finish the, the fermentation. And you'd prefer that not to happen? Yes, because it's slowly. And again, fast fermentation means high temperature. And I don't have temperature control in cellar. And it's a big work because you have to follow the tank and to do the delestage, to invent something to reduce the temperature. With the wild yeast, with the indigenous yeast, call it like you want, uh, because there's a big discussion about wild, not wild, uh, selected, selected, not selected. Sure. Uh, my fermentation are made with, is a natural start of fermentation. I can add yeast. I don't know, to be honest, because I never see, I never research if they are cellar yeast, if they are yeast that come from the skin, if are yeast that come from the case of grapes, I don't know. But our yeast are indigenous. So our yeast that are in the ambient and that start fermentation in a different way that selected yeast, added yeast. And I have the perception that uh, selected yeast, you put a big mass of yeast in the, in the um, grapes, and start fermentation and finish fermentation the same family of yeast. In the wild fermentation, I think you have a different family of yeast. In the beginning, you have some yeast that are more power, and then they have some problem with alcohol and start other family of yeast because the competition is less than than in the in the selected yeast fermentation. In selected yeast fermentation, the quantity of selected yeast that you add is big, and they not they kill, but they are more power and a big majority in the fermentation and they do all the fermentation because the other one didn't go up. It may be that it's multiple yeasts acting on what you're doing. One starts, another finishes, and one's in the middle. Yeah, it's also a risk that because there are also some yeasts that are not beautiful. But if we follow well the situation, we understand if something is wrong and we had opportunity we had we have always four, five, six tanks in fermentation. We have also the opportunity to take 
to 20 or 50 liters from one tank one that tank. is in well condition and put it inside and change the balance of yeast because we take yeast from one tank that go in the well direction and we put in another tank that have some problem for start or something like this. Of course, it's not totally natural. We put our hand inside, but in a different way. And what about mallow? Do you induce mallow? Do you want it to start? No, no. no. I, nev- I don't induce mallow with, with uh, selected bacteria, but of course, I put uh, the wine at the, in the warm place. And Bring the cellar temperature up. Yes, yes. I warm up the, temp- the, the cellar. And of course, the first tank that starts the mallow, we take 10 liters each tank and we re-rack the other to increase the, the power of the, 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 the bacteria in each tank. I prefer that malolactic fermentation is finished when I put wine in wood uh, because I prefer to control the situation. You because know, you ferment in steel. Yeah, the malolactic fermentation and also the fermentation is in steel. And also because I prefer to put in wood clean wine. It's not a problem for wine. It's a problem for wood. <laughs> I try to save my barrel longer. <laughs> and the, the dirty wine close the porosity. That's a problem. Yes, then we go to clean it, but we can enter in, in, in deepness in the wood. Because it gets deep into the pores. Sure. So sure. if you have some weird wonky wine, then it might stay there for a long time. And you don't want to replace the barrel. In particular, all the fermentation, because fermentation are due by yeast. Yeast are not very, very short. But malolactic fermentation made a very, very short part, uh, sediment. The, the bacteria are very small. When they are died, they jump down and they enter inside the porosity. Also, the, the small parcel, small proteins that, that jump down because there is a change of pH. And of course, there is a, also a, a sedimentation of some parcel of color and that didn't stay in the, the good situation there. And also, after the malolactic fermentation, there is one uh, tartaric sedimentation. And these go attached to the wood and sometimes make some problem in the wood. Of course, with young wood, with, with barrique, for example, is not a big problem because if it's two years, you change the wood, okay, there's no problem. But that's when not you what sell the doing. wood, is the wood. With a big barrel, I try to save big barrel in the well condition for 15, 20 years, if it's possible. Not 100 years, honestly. When my father gave me the cellar, I change all the old barrel. Of course, when I arrive on a new barrel, I use it first for Barbera. Because I think that the woody taste on Nebbiolo cover a little bit the, the complexity of Nebbiolo. Barbera is more rough and can have some advantage with the new wood. But also, I don't use old, old barrel on the Nebbiolo. Even if they are well clean and, and don't make bad uh, problem in the wine. For one reason, because when I put wine in wood, I want some interaction not just a container, because the best container is a steel, easy to clean, very light, very uh, wood is a problem, a problematic container, and I decide to use wood because I want interaction. You want air through the stage, sure. So it, it can't be too old. Sure, if they are too old, they become container because the air uh, uh, interaction between wood and wine become very very short very short year by year 
what about the vintages? You did 01, and then in 02 and 03, you didn't bottle any Barolo. And why yeah. was that? 02 for one reason, 03 for the opposite reason. I start with an amazing vintage. 2001 probably is even now the best vintage that I had. Not for the result in wine, but for the vintage, for the work, was very, very easy to make 2001 wines because grapes was perfect, weather was perfect, made by computer. The day when we need water, arrive a storm. The day when we need sun was beautiful sun. Uh, harvest was in perfect condition. Uh, we harvest with sun, but a little bit late uh, with lower temperature. That is perfect. Um, 2002, immediately after, I had a shock because 2002 for us was a disaster. Arrived uh, one storm, first week of September, and destroyed 90% of the harvest. Of course, destroyed one medium-low harvest, not the best one. If the storm arrived in 2001, it was a really disaster. Uh, in 2002, even if it didn't arrive, the, the storm, the hell storm, probably, I don't made Barolo the same. But uh, the storm was a resolution of my trouble. Um, we just made Nebbiolo, Lange Nebbiolo, and in total we had 3,000 bottles of Lange Nebbiolo. The only wine that we made. What do you normally bottle? What's the normal The count? total production is 25, 28,000 bottles per year. So this made the idea of the, of the hailstorm. <laughs> uh, of course, we forget the, the majority, all the dolcetto that was close to the maturation, and in three days the, the botrytis destroyed the rest. Part of Barbera. The better Barbera was attached by the Botrytis because it was not well mature. We can harvest it because it was not well mature and was not far from the maturation. This is the problem. Uh, Nebbiolo was better because it was more far from the maturation and the Botrytis had not the best situation. So we saved some grape because Botrytis was not very aggressive on the Nebbiolo on that situation, the, the, the crashed berry dried, and but at the end we had a good lung in a viola, not more than this. Yeah, 10 times less uh, the production. That Two must have been hard for you, as pretty much your yeah, second vintage yeah, out, to have it yeah. such a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the third one, yes, but the 2001 was exciting, and, and the second one put my feet on the herd. <laughs> 2003 was again difficult. 2003 was extremely warm. But, for example, I told before about 2007. 2007 was also very warm. 2012 was very warm. But, of course, in 2007, 2012, we had the experience of 2003. That before 2003, yes, 97 was warm, but not like, like that. The problem in 2003 for me is that the majority of my vineyard was young because we replant, my father and me, we replant the, the bigger part of the vineyard between 90 and 2005, 2008 was the last uh, replanting. Uh, young vineyard, uh, not very deep roots, vintage, very warm vintage and very dry vintage. We had no rain for the whole season. And the 
autumn before, autumn 2002. 2002 for, was a vintage wo- full of rain, full of storm. All day was rainy, was gray. But the quantity of water was not very big. Uh, and the winter was not snowy. The result is no water residual in the soil, extremely warm vintage, 2003, and no rain. The young plant had a lot of problem to save the leaf, not the grapes, the leaf. In some vineyard, we go to cut the grapes in the end of August to save the plant because the, the grapes, the plant is oriented on the grapes. His first uh, result is the grapes maturation. In some places, in the um, poor soil places or in the little bit sandy uh, soil, the young vineyard lose the leaf in the middle of August. And of course, the grapes was cooked by the sun because without leaf around, <laughs> you can imagine vintage like 2003, the grapes was cooked and we cut it down because to, to save the plant, to concentrate the plant, to push the plant to, to make reserve in the, in the roots for the year later. 2003 was very, very hard. And the grapes that we harvest was uh, 50% of the normal. Uh, I do the vinification, of course, but the wine was very tired. Uh, I am not focused on the color, but 2003 was orange. <laughs> uh, we had wine with uh, 16 alcohol degree, uh, with three grams per liter of, uh, of acidity and with pH like olive oil. I sell it I sell it in bulk and at the end, I have to be honest, I taste a wine, some wine from 2003 that surprised me because uh, they are fresher than my expectation. But I am I'm happy to, to have this decision. Then arrived 2004 again, <laughs> another good vintage. A good vintage, yeah. Yes, 2004, beautiful. Very equilibrated, very equilibrated, but with with substance, with with muscles too. Then all right, 2005, that for me is really beautiful vintage. And for me as a satisfaction, for one reason, is easy to make great wine in vintage like 2001 or 2007, 2006, for example, that are beautiful vintage. And you find all the wine, mass or minus, at the, the same level. But in 05, is a satisfaction to have a great result. So how did that happen? It was a warmer parcel and you picked before the rain or what happened? Uh, 2005, of course, the selection was very important in, in harvest time because part of grapes had problem, part of grapes didn't mature well in 2005. Of course, Vigna Merenda had the advantage of the, the temperature and disposition is a very warm area and this helped us a lot in vintage like 2000, 2005. For example, also in my father's wines, his 83 is better than 82. And this is another example of 83 was less warm or rainy, close to 2005. This, this is the, the reason. That's not the only time, because I prefer his 95 to his 96, too. Sometimes yeah, it's the vintage yeah, that right. you wouldn't think. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. I think immediately about 83, 82, because I tasted it two weeks ago, and I have the comparison. Uh, it's fresh in my mind. Because most people would say, oh, the 96 is going to be better. But I didn't find that for Scott. 96 is 
is aggressive, was aggressive, is aggressive, and I think stay aggressive. <laughs> because there is a big difference between wine with a lot of tannin and wine with green tannin. Uh, 96, on my opinion, is a vintage, not for all the producers, but for many producers that have a lot of green tannin. Green tannin didn't change. Green tannin stay green because it's, uh, the, the tannin have to mature first on the plant. And then it's not a problem of extraction. When we take off more tannin with long, long maceration, of course, the green one, if are few and are the, the small percent, jump down with, with the natural uh, precipitation in, in the wine. But the green tannin, when are in big quantity and are big in volume, they stay in wine and you take it for the whole life of wine. Wine die before tannin mature. So you're happy with your fives? O5 is a, is a vintage that, of course, didn't play on, on the muscles. Play, play on complexity, play. The freshness of O5 is beautiful. It's strange to talk about acidity in Barolo, but the acidity of O5 is, is pretty. It is, is gives an incredible freshness to the wine and, and an incredible drinkability, too. It's a wine that you can drink with a beautiful piece of meat but also with a plate of pasta because with of course not pasta oil and, and parmesan but it's very easy to pair and and this is beautiful for one barolo so how do you see because i think of 05 as kind of a very in a way transparent vintage so how do you mm -hmm. see the differences between the barolo community de barolo mm -hmm. that you make and the miranda say a vintage like 05 in the taste i mean how do they taste different to you of course 05 in, in 05 in particular, there is a big difference because the body of Vigna Merenda is double than, than the, the regular. In 05 was not called uh, Community Barolo, was just called Barolo. Because we started in 06 to use Community Barolo. Many vintage, when we put the wine in the market, Community Barolo shows better than, than Vigna Merenda. On release. Yeah. <laughs> because we select for Community Barolo, the parcels that are more open, that are more ready, that are more uh, approachable, that are more round. So in a way, it's like a reverse selection. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the second selection. It's not right. the, the... It's, it's not like you take it from Miranda and put that aside and then what's left is Community Barolo. No. You actually select for Community the, Barolo. The story is, is easy. I have five parcels in Vigna Miranda and one parcel outside that is Terlo. Very, very different, but I harvest the parcel separately. At the end, if it's a normal vintage, I have five or six different parcel. Means five or six barrel. I use 25 hectoliters barrel and some to know. And I have five or six parcel, different parcel, vinificated separately and put it in wood separately. After one year, I take the Vigna Merenda parcel, the different Vigna Merenda parcel, I do the tasting and I blend it. I can taste with some friend and we decide together, not, not just me. But I try to show the, the best result of Vigna Merenda, of Sarmassa. In Vigna Merenda, I don't try to have the best wine, the best body, the best. First, I try the, to have the roundness, to have the complexity. But then I want to show which is the result of that vintage in Vigna Merenda. Then with the rest of Vigna Merenda and with the Terlo Parcel, I do the blend for regular Barolo. 
Some years I use 90% of the parcel, some years I use 50%. With the rest is sell it to the negotiant. For that reason, why I put on the, the Barolo, the regular Barolo, I put Comune di Barolo. Because Comune di Barolo is a mensione, like Sarmassa, like Canubi. And for me, it's not my basic Barolo. For me, is select the earlier selection and the more ageable selection. Of course, Vigna Merenda is normally superior. Vigna Merenda comes later. Vigna Merenda is a wine that is not approachable immediately. Barolo Comune di Barolo arrive in the market. I am late to be in the market, but uh, arrive in the market. Than, yes, than a lot normally of two two years later. It with seems Comune, like because I don't see you yeah. know the same vintages from you than others. We have 2008 now, and is allowed to sell 2011 from January. Comune di Barolo arrived two years later, and Vigna Merenda arrived three years later. So one year more in cellar. Not in barrel, not in bottle, because I age my Barolo more than the majority of producers. I age more time in bottle, in cellar, uh, because uh, aging in bottle is fundamental for Barolo. Very, very important. And when we drink old Barolo, we have to consider that the majority of aging was in bottle, not not in barrel, not in, was in bottle. And the big change is made in bottle. In particular, the classic Barolo need to rebuild the balance in bottle because bottling time is a big stress for Barolo. And I see that minimum two years, one and a half, two years are important to arrive again in a good uh, balance situation. Then, of course, I don't sell ready wine always. Uh, 06 now is not even ready. But uh, I try to show wine that are a little bit more approachable and uh, that shows a little bit more the character of Barolo. And I am a Barolo producer from Barolo. Barolo, you know, is not a, a, an area where we have a lot of muscle, a lot of aggressivity in the wine. How would, do you think your wines would be different if they were in a different commune? Because one of the things that, that's interesting about you is that all of your parcels are Barolo parcels. So you mm-hmm. don't make Monforte, Sierra No, no, no. no. All my vineyards are in Barolo. I have no parcel outside also for Langanebiolo or Barbera. Do you think your approach might be different if you were in a different commune? Mm, of course, yes. Uh, but I, I have no experience about that. I love wine from many villages. Uh, but I see that each vineyard, the important one or the, the lighter one, the easier one, the bad one too, the parcel is important, but the producer is <laughs> sometimes more important. Not more, but is even even important, like the, the origin of the grapes. Because uh, I have some wine from Monforto, from Serra Lunga that I love, and some other that I don't like, like in Barolo. I have some Barolo from Barolo that I love and some other that uh, I I don't like. The parcel is important, the vineyard is important, the crew is very important. Of course, Barolo make difference from, from the origin. But also the producer is, is, is very, very important. Uh, and I don't talk about just brand and name. I talk about the also the small producers that are unknown. I am not very famous producer. I have five actors and I am really not very known. But a producer like me that have a beautiful result and that 
shows well the character of one vineyard. This is important because I have no vineyard all over the world. I have vineyard in Barolo. I don't made the best Barolo. I made the Barolo that shows the character of that vineyard. Then you can like it or not, but uh, to have a different result, I have to push my wine in some direction. I follow my wine and I try to explain the best result that have the potential of the vineyard. So you also work with Peter Weimer at Casino Abreu. Mm -hmm. How do you see those wines as different or the same as the Scarzella wines? The work is similar, very similar. We do many things together. We are friends for years. First time I meet Pete Weimer was a customer of my father, come to buy wine in cellar. I was four years old. And I grew up with Pete and Romy at home. First, like customer, then like friends, then they move in Cascinebreo, they buy Cascinebreo. I I see all the steps of Cascinebreo from moment when they buy it uh, in 93, it was a forest. And then they was in Switzerland uh, for the first time. And uh, my father, and I was always with my father because I was curious about that, uh, managed the operation for the first operation to reclean and rebuild a normal situation in the wild. Um, and I know all the story. I follow all the story. Then Pete is, is, is a beautiful personality and it's very nice to stay with him and take something from him. He have a totally different experience uh, to me. I was born in Barolo, grows up in Barolo, I stay in Barolo. Uh, he traveled all over the world. He had great experience in the past. And it's fine to have this exchange of information, of idea. We had very similar style, very similar system. We have a big exchange of information and exchange of experience, but the wine are totally different. This is the sense of, of the vineyard result. Novello, the higher part of Ravera, where is Cassini Ebreo located, have a different soil, different climate first. Vigna Merenda and Cascine Ebreo are one kilometer far in line air for probably less, but are two completely different situations. We talk about Sarmassa and Terlo. Uh, we have to imagine that Sarmassa is one situation, Terlo is in the middle and Cascine Ebreo is the opposite. Cascine Ebreo is fresh, Cascine Ebreo is dry than Sarmassa. Because Cascinebreo is open on the Tanaro Valley and Tanaro Valley that arrive from the mountain. It's not the Tanaro Valley from Alba to the, the Asti and, and that. It's the back part of Lange, the, the mountain valley of Tanaro River. And it's fresh, it's very weeny. This position is similar because Cascinebreo and Vigna Merenda have a similar position. Age of vineyard is similar. Uh, working is very similar. Vinification is very similar, but the result is totally different. Uh, peat play with more acidity. I have less acidity. Peat play with more color and more body. I play with less color and many times less body. Uh, my wine are more creamy. Peter wine are more vertical, more masculine, and are made in very, very similar way with very similar philosophy. I learned a lot from him. I hope that he learned something from me. Uh, was was a nice story. What about someone else? He is a nice story. Because he's he's cool still guy. continuing. Yeah, he's still. <laughs> <laughs> what 
what about Armando Cordero? Did you learn some things mm-hmm. from him? I know he consulted for a number of different wineries yes. in the Langue. Armando Cordero, Armando Cordero is one of the people unknown people from Langa, but he's the real, the real, the old analogs, the man that changed for many ways, changed the story of Barolo in the in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he was a consultant, silent consultant another age consultant now i can do that but now consultants are so very famous are on all the book he was a consultant that come home taste wine and was totally unknowed he had experience all, all, all around the world because he works for big seller from piemonte and was in 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 belgium in uh, south america for years and when he come back he was, of course, the analog of one important seller in 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 Alba, but is that Franco Fiorina? Yes, but uh, he he do consultant to many small producer. He was always in the commission, Barolo commission, and uh, many tasting opportunity. He was the president of the of the team, and he had a, a particular approach because he tried to do the right techniques but to preserve the style of producer this is beautiful his touch was very soft uh, it just it can change the wine he just saved the wine to the bad variation and he just suggests the best way to do but he never push in one direction or in the other i remember armando that was consultant to my father in the late 80s in the middle of revolution modern and traditional and he was consultant to modern and traditional producer you can't imagine now (laughs) i think it's quite impossible because wine is made on philosophy he was the uh, he is uh, now is more than 80 years old he's no more consultant but he he always have his soft touch he always was the techniques the real analog the old-fashioned analog. I learned a lot from him, a lot. Pro- Sometimes more than in school. What did he emphasize to you? So. In particular, the how is important our work, how is serious our work, because Armando is a serious man. And uh, he, he showed me that first thing that I learned, I was very young, I was a little bit more than a children. First is the, that the 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 seller have to be extremely clean extremely clean uh not the wall not the ceiling not the but this the place where the wine go one barrel covered by by um, mufa by by um, uh, dust or something is not a good container for wine probably is poetic but it's not a good container at the same time Cellar is not an hospital, but tank have to be clean, very clean. Wine have to stay in a clean situation. The small variation of wine sometimes are a sign of a very, very bad variation. And we have to follow the wine, not daily, but many times. Because also the wine that you don't expect uh, changing very fast uh, time. And yes, the... He shows me how is serious our work. He show me the 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 importance of the technique work in cellar. Even 
if we are natural producer, even if we do nothing inside. Many times people ask me, which is your philosophy? What change in your vinification from your father, your grandfather? Probably I do the same vinification of my grandfather and my great-grandfather too. But the big difference is now I know why. My grandfather do it probably because it was the only way that he know. And, and it is a big difference. It is a big difference because probably the result is the same, the work is the same, the, all is the same. But it's a different approach. And Armando gave me that approach. Armando Cardero is somebody who worked in a lot of different communes of the Lange. Yeah. What did he tell you about Barolo and Barolo fruit? <laughs> Armando was was working for a long time in, in cellar with, with volume, not just with a small quantity like me. And he is, his idea was always Barolo, best Barolo come from blend. Uh, I not totally agree about that because I have a different idea. For him, balance was fundamental, and he had the old school, old analogical school. So blend it, one part of Saralunga, one part of Barolo. Saralunga gave the powers, Barolo gave the, the complexity, and uh, I don't know, Monforte gave the freshness. And that's the blueprint uh, of Franco Fiorino. Yeah. I mean, it's blended yeah. from all yeah. of those places. He was the master of blend. It's like a cuvee champagne or... A, a single vineyard champagne or or something like this. Of course, cuvee champagne, if I want to drink a bottle of champagne, one bottle myself, I take a cuvee because it's, it's built, uh, the, 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 the balance is built by a beautiful techniques in, in cellar, just by blending uh, different parcel. But if I want emotion, I take a bottle of uh, vintage champagne or, or something like this. And is the similar situation, of course, with a totally different wine, but is a similar situation. On blending, you have a very good balance, but you have a, a generic Barolo, in a good sense, uh, in a good sense, but generic. The vineyard, the single vineyard, is the expression of one soil. is unique. is much more unique. Is a result of one soil. Is the result between the interaction between soil and vine growers and analog in cellar, analog or winemaker. This is the difference. And for Armando, Armando was very, very politic on that. He never tell you, I prefer that vineyard or that one. Uh, he always describe the characteristic of, of each one and, and the characteristics are the same that we describe now. He knows well the area, well, well the soil, well the grapes, because uh, at the time Franco Fiorina buy a lot of uh, grapes and uh, he had experience for that. Uh, he meet the historical uh, grapes merchants that do the, the, a lot of suggestion to the, the analogs. And he knows well the area, but he have a right idea of the potential of each hill, but he have not one favorite, never. Probably... He was loving Castiglione Falletto because he's in in the middle, no? and uh, and uh, also also the Barolo area, uh, the the eastern Barolo area, uh, Brunate, Sarmassa, Cerequio too. So that part where you are, <laughs> yes, where I am. But uh, for for the reason that the wine are balanced, naturally be balanced, 
and then he was loving uh, Saralunga plays for the power of course the power because in many vintage his idea of blend uh, it's a big one he need power yeah. <laughs> he need a lot of power uh, that's it what has it been like for you with what I would imagine would be some climate change during the period you've been working and also in a warmer site hmm to be honest I don't know I see that uh, we have a vintage like 2012, very warm, with a lot of risk of hailstorm, and this comes from the climate. Then we have a vintage like 2014, rainy, cold. <laughs> of course, if we talk about climate change, I agree. There are a big climate change, and I think the future vintage become more extreme in one sense or in the other. And and we work uh, to be ready on that. It's very important to manage the vineyard in different way. For in each vintage, we have to do the best for the vineyard. Uh, in the dry vineyard, we work a little bit the soil to take off the grass that consume water, that eat water. In the, in the rainy vintage, we have to discover more the production to catch more the sun. Uh, and uh, we have to less the grass that take off water from the soil. And also in the warm vintage, we have to less more, more vegetation on the plant that use this power. In the, in the rainy vintage, we have to reduce the power of the plant. If it's possible, much is possible. We adapt our work on the vintage in the past was different in the past was one way and that was the only the only possibility to grow vineyard now we are we understand that we have to do that because we have no more 10 vintage one like the other so it's not just adjustments in the winery it's adjustments in the vineyard no it's in the vineyard first because in the winery we have not a lot to do. Uh, we decide that that uh, vintage is okay, that one is not okay. So, but uh, we can change a lot. Of course, in the early vintage we harvest earlier, and the in the in the cold vintage we harvest a little bit later. So our our decision, but very very easy decision. The big work is to study which are the best way to grow vineyard in the different climate situation because there are big difference between one year and the other. Now, one big help probably come from that big, I don't know how I have to call it, but this kind of revolution on the natural wine growing, biologic, biodynamic. Uh, I don't like the label, but of course it's very important to change something. For 25 years, uh, the under the name conventional, we had hundred kind of uh, vines uh, growing. Uh, now there is a big sensibility uh, to reduce the the impact, uh, our impact on the vineyard, because we understand that we have to save our vineyard for the future. Uh, of course, for some reason the label bio and way or. or biodynamic or, or something like this is important also for the market but i think that the the consumer that know the, the concept is if i buy a, a, a strawberry uh, of course a bio strawberry is very different to the conventional one 
because the bio is a guarantee that what I eat is more clean than the conventional one. In the wine is very different. Or this is the same on salad or something that I eat wall you like eat I buy. For the wine is different because the residual on grapes is loosened in vinification. The majority is loosened. If I do something like bio is not for my consumer, sorry, but it's for me because I, I live in my vineyard and I have to guarantee that on my soil, vineyards survive also, survive to me. Uh, so all the generation before don't have the situation that we had now, uh, don't have the opportunity that we have now. We have to see back and to see why the vineyard survived thousand years in Lange and we have to guarantee that survive other thousand years. This is the bigger revolution that we had in, 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 in our region, and not just in our region, uh, because Tuscany and uh, many other regions have the same evolution. This, I think, make a big difference in the future years. And I talk about bio first in vineyard. Bio in cellar, okay. We talk about another interview, but <laughs> it's a long story. Bio in the, the revolution bio, not under one label first. This is very important for me. But each producer have to understand, know well that have to change a little bit his work in vineyard because vineyard is our patrimony. We understand now that, and this is a big change. Big in the future years. We had a big surprise from, from, from our area. I talk about my area because I know well that, not all the other. But this, this become very important and probably is one good system to uh, um, manage the, the climate change, probably, to adapt the, the vineyard to the climate change. Because the old system growing without many poison that we use in the last years uh, was made they follow the, the clima. They have no, no way and no other way. And probably we come back on this direction. So you also make Nebbiolo with bubbles with the mm -hmm. Amber Griffey project. So what's that like to have a sparkling Nebbiolo? Uh, the Herpa Griffe project, you know, is a strange project. I do it with uh, three school friends, ex-school friends. Uh, They're still your friends, but you're not in school anymore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just clarify. <laughs> no, no, no. We do it for 15 years now, and uh, it's a big satisfaction because when we start, the majority of producers look us like uh, crazy guys, uh, play for children or something like this. Now, there are a lot of producers that try with Nebbiolo, and in the future years, uh, arrive on the market quite a lot of uh, Nebbiolo, sparkling Nebbiolo. It's nice because we take uh, an old tradition we transformed the, the product because the, the old, old uh, sparkling Nebbiolo was red, was probably sweet, many times was sweet, was not a, an important wine, was a wine for, for uh, was a cheap and cheap version of uh, champagne uh, or a, a cheap wine for, for the um, uh, Italian immigrate from oh, Southern America. So it was not an important wine. But the idea is now in... In this century, we have to transform that wine. The, the idea starts from one idea, another idea. Uh, Pinot Noir is probably one of the best grapes for red wine 
and is one of the best grapes for the sparkling. Why not with Nebbiolo? Then why Rosé? Rosé because first year we try to make the, the white Nebbiolo. Uh, we use the carbon, like all, all the, the white by red grapes. And the carbon take off a lot of flavor, a lot of complexity. When we start in 2000, uh, rosé wine was not very fancy. And, but our idea was, this is not our business, it's not our work, it's just our kind of hobby. We try to have satisfaction from this wine. And we do the best to have the best result. And rosé was the best result. Okay, probably it's not the, commer- the best commercial wine, but we try on that way. Now... After 15 years, rosé are very fancy, are uh, considered beautiful wine, changed totally the perception of the rosé. This was a surprise for us, but it's very good for us. And now the majority of producers that that make uh, Nebbiolo Spumante use the rosé way. They can make the, the, the white one. Yes, the future of Erpa Crife is, uh, is nice because we find a vineyard at the beginning, we use grapes from Barolo, from my vineyard, from some other grapes that we buy around. But all the grapes that come from Barolo, Roero, or Barbaresco area. Now we find a vineyard in Alba a village. is the part of Alba between Barbaresco and Barolo Appellation uh, that goes up in Alta Langa. is 570-580, close to 600 meters on sea level. And this makes the difference because we harvest grapes that are quite mature, but they have the perfect condition for the transforming classic method. They have high acidity and low alcohol. Why the grapes have to be quite mature? Because we do maceration with grapes from Barolo to have 11 degree alcohol potential. We have to harvest in the beginning of August. Grapes was quite green. And the maceration translating the wine some green taste and some bitter tannin. And this is, of course, not good because tannin and bubble works uh, not well. Green tannin and bubble, dry tannin and bubble is a disaster. With that vineyard, we change a lot the perspective of Erpa Crife because on that vineyard, we have the perfect grapes. Is is the perfect vineyard for Spumante. We find it. We can plant it. it. Was a vineyard planted in the 60s? Is an old vineyard in the middle of some Moscato vineyard and the hazelnut uh, because it's outside the Nebbiolo cultivation area. Is higher. Was used in the past for the red with not a great result because the red was too light and too aggressive. And we was lucky because uh, it's the only vineyard that is in that area. And now producer that want made a sparkling nebbiolo plant some vineyard in the same region because they see that from that part not just in that specific part but in alta langa in general in the higher part of langa and yes that's the story the story of erpa Crife is very long because uh, is our is our passion not just our work and we we spend a lot of time together uh, first for friendship and then for erpa Crife. <laughs> but erpa Crife is the reason to save our friendship. That's that's it. Federico Scarzello of Scarzello. He's at the beginning of several long stories. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Federico Scarzello of Scarzello in Barolo.
All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Skella has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.